Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It is the height of fixie season, yet we have decided to go back 20 years to 2001. The Academy Award winning Best Picture, Best Director, a couple other awards, Best Supporting. No, it didn't win cinematography. Remember? Screenplay. Best Supporting Actress, A Beautiful Mind, directed by Ron Howard. Um, I'm excited to talk about this movie, guys. I think that's all we're going to focus on today because I know we all got to get back to our fixies. Um, So let's get into it. John Nash was one of the most brilliant minds of his generation. Welcome to Princeton. Who among you will be the next Einstein? Find a truly original idea. And it's the only way I will ever distinguish myself. It's the only way I will ever matter. He saw the world. Where's Nash? Out there, looking for his original idea. (laughs) In ways that no one could imagine. This flies in the face of 150 years of theory. Congratulations, John. It's the achievement of a lifetime. From producer Brian Grazer and director Ron Howard. I'm wondering... Professor Nash, if I can ask you to dinner. You do eat, don't you? How big is the universe? Infinite. How do you know for sure? I don't, I just believe it. It's the same with love, I guess. The extraordinary gift. What can I do for the Department of Defense? That set him apart. You are the best natural code breaker I have ever seen. You've done your country a great service, son. Would push his mind. Get in. Beyond its limits. Somebody! Help me! John, open the door. Talk to me. Tell me what happened. It didn't happen. This is not what I signed on for. I'm not leaving! Stop! You can't reason your way out of it. Why not? Why can't I? Okay, guys. So, you all have been talking for a long time about the Ron Howard Oscar machine. And this is really the only time it's actually worked. I mean, he's won some Oscars before. He's gotten some nominations, but damn, did he really bring it home in 2001? Um, and as we look back at these years and these movies, um, I think, did we get a chance? To, what Did we watch the uh, Academy Award winner for last year? Best Picture? Yeah. Gladiator. Gladiator, of course. Yep. Um, and we did uh, American Beauty the d- year before. I'm wondering, if, I'm wondering if we can make sense of this win. Because it's a pretty... It's a pretty um, Overwhelming win, best picture, best director, screenplay. Um, and one, I guess I'm wondering, what does that say anything about this year in movies? It's kind of a lame Chapin-esque question, but also, can we make sense of it? Because I don't feel like A Beautiful Mind is a movie that has lived on in certainly our minds, but really anybody's minds. Um, Lee, you raised your hand, so any thoughts? Yeah, I'm really, really glad you you opened with this because I had a lot of the same thoughts. Um and, and just two points in regards to that. The first being that I went back and kind of looked at some of the excerpts from critics about this movie. It has a 72 meta score, which is, you know, okay. fine. It's a good score, right? Um, and a lot of the critics, for you know, regardless of whether their review is good or bad, a lot of them are good, you know, talked about Hollywood cliches and Hollywood schmaltz and mainstream movie making. And I just think that y- you can really see with a beautiful mind that we were looking for something different in our movies 20 years ago than we are today in terms of how we graded quality because this is so mainstream and 
it is full of a lot of cliches and Hollywood schmaltz. And for better or worse, you know, those things were looked favorably upon by the Oscars. And they are to a certain extent still. But I think we also have started to recognize more challenging filmmaking and movies that uh, push the envelope. And I think that's a combination of things like podcasts and more access to reviews and people being more, you know, critical of the things we've seen many, many times before. So I do, I like that you ask, like, you know, why or what's changed really between like what is considered a best picture now, not necessarily for the Oscars, but just kind of in general and, and or what time a movie lives on. And it's and why isn't a beautiful mind among those? And I think it's just because there's tens of thousands of movies just like it, ranging in quality, but it just does mainstream really well, and it was rewarded for that back in right. two thousand one. Uh, I I you know I'm interested because I I think you know the year in nineteen ninety nine the year we started this retrospective on. Uh, mm-hmm. American Beauty won, and I think we look back at that movie as very timely and of its time. Um, mm-hmm. The next year is Gladiator, and that movie I think is similar to what you just described about A Beautiful Mind, but it's, I mean, I think it's a better movie, but it's also, I think, was part of a, it felt, it, it still, I think, is very much in people's consciousness. Um, well, and, and it, so, and it, cause it launched a, a genre of sorts. It did, yeah. But A Beautiful Mind. Didn't was successful certainly but again it did very well but again it didn't it doesn't feel like it uh i don't know it doesn't feel like it's of this time jeremy do you have thoughts thoughts yeah when you guys are saying that i'm like trying to come up with another movie like a beautiful mind like that would say come out today like what recently is a movie that's very similar to a beautiful mind that's sort of picture perfect um glossy that came out that everybody sort of just watched like i I, like i feel like if a beautiful mind came out now it would be it wouldn't it would just be another movie it it wouldn't be a 60 million dollar best picture no, and you, like even back then, though, like you look at the the best picture no, uh, nominees that were up against it. It's Gosford Park, which is Robert Altman. It's I mean, you could uh, it's a unique film, whether you like it or hate it. In the bedrooms, a very indie film, Moulin Rouge, uh, uh, you know, a musical, and of course, there's Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Rings, which maybe is the most comparable to A Beautiful Mind in that it's it's a little bit Hollywood glitz. But it sort of started the epic, the epic uh, fantasy films. So even back then, I think it was a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I just call this I movie mean, like just watching it. It just felt like such a, like such a palate cleanser of a film. It just washed over that, that you. Nice. That sounds nice and than it easy. It's so yeah. funny you called it that because I was literally just about to give you a movie that this is certainly better than, but you referred to this particular movie the same way when we reviewed it, but it's green book. And okay. you yeah. called that okay. a palate cleanser of racism. So green book's <laughs> but, but, actually a good example but of I, a movie that was, is very this similar. This is better than that, but yes, but it's it also, a better movie. At the time, I think when we watched green book, 
people like us or critics, you know, the, the sort of the... We were filled with rage. Well, yeah, like people <laughs> knew how ridiculous that movie was and, and how silly it was that it won at the time. Yeah. Um, okay, let's, let's get into it, guys. So, shot by Roger Deakins. Didn't look like it. Um, what did you guys think of this movie? I mean, to me, there was virtually nothing exciting about it. It, everything was just paint by numbers done perfectly like Te- it, textbook it, filmmaking it, yeah like. yeah everything was within like if you have a coloring book and you hand it off to an uh, an artist or, or even just somebody who can stay within the lines and they color none, every none of us none of us <laughs> and, and they color every piece perfectly you're gonna get a nice looking product at the end Ron Howard colors in between the lines but there's nothing interesting <laughs> or in-depth about that like well just... let me play devil's advocate for a okay. quick second because Go ahead. I agree with what you said like this is a safe relatively uninteresting movie there are some things that really work about it we will talk about the performances a little bit later but I found that Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly's relationship in this allowed this movie to kind of rise above the just generic quality that we're we're giving it. I I I found their relationship to be emotional. I was moved by it at times. I thought that that worked nicely and it made this a little bit more than I think what it even deserved to be. It, so I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed watching it. I just didn't For probably the same the, reason that relationship. Guys, really? I just didn't believe I liked she it. would ever be in she, She's way well, too that, hot. Well, that's... that. I, <laughs> I mean, I, not just aesthetically, are. just because she is, but also just like what was really her interest well, or I mean, appeal? Like, I get really his did appeal get married. <laughs> I mean, but we don't know like that I, his wife really looked like Jennifer Connelly, but we know that well, this is they actually did get married. No, I know, but then we're talking about the. I'm not talking. I'm talking about what was portrayed to us as an audience in this film. I didn't buy it. What are we given to? Well, especially in that opening scene. Why does she ask him out? That's strange. Um, I mean, she was attractive, right? But why does? (laughs) Oh, you're looking at the real Alicia Nash. Why does she ask him out in that first scene? I guess is the big question. That's if. You can't accept that. But regardless, I liked that relationship. But ultimately, I agree with you guys. Like, I wrote down that this is a safe movie. It, it doesn't really take a lot of risks in any department. And I think that that was sort of interesting to me to think about why the Academy was so fond of that. And I think that's a, a piece that we fail, have failed to point out when we talk about the the Ron Howard what Oscar machines. The, the safeness, the lack of risks in these types of movies. But, okay, but like, what what is this movie about? Like, what what is interesting yeah. about him? We don't really learn anything about, like, we know he's this smart mathematician. We see some scribblings on a... Chapin on a, can't even say mathematician. Mathematician, I can say it. <laughs> we, we see some scribblings on a window. We see him... Kind, Which some, makes you brilliant, by the way. Some rough... Yeah, you're only... You're, Facebook, we know this. It Facebook, was all invented yeah. on the window. Uh we, you know, we, we, we see him, him, his, some sort of pattern recognition stuff that he's doing. There's a little bit of that, you know, if we all go after the other women, 
uh, you know, we'll we'll divide and conquer it, it as a sort of economic principle, which I mean, I feel like would not <laughs> pass the Me Too standard these days. But that's beside the point. I mean, we don't really learn. Besides that, we don't really learn anything about him. We don't really know why he's special. We don't see him. We don't see him do like goodwill hunting like work. He doesn't like you right. know. We don't see him uh, be this. Like we don't understand. Like the the filmmakers don't let us understand what his theory was. No. that was so special. We spend more time in the fantasies that turn out not to be not to be true within this film. They're not true. Period. He did not have fantasies like that. He did not have imaginings like that which fine um but even within this film we spend so much time with in these like these military bunkers and we 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 get insight into that work but it turns out it never happened right i mean most of that stuff never happened it was just the film wants you to believe he imagined it right right which is a whole nother obstacle to overcome which i had no issue you have to suspend your disbelief pretty seriously in this movie if if you start trying to analyze being like well how is he talking to this person like where are all these things coming from then this movie's really not going to work um going back to just kind of my point about i mean this is a classic pg-13 movie too from (laughs) everything like there's nothing hard hitting about it you know there's there even like weirdly the thing i noticed is the scene where he's digging in his arm for the implant like they like take a quick shot of that, but they don't even really let you see the blood there. Like that, you don't see him truly crumbling. Wait, and it like, was a code red because uh, of the blood. Yeah, that's what the nurse said. I think yeah. it was code. They're like, "Oh, we got a code red," and right. then they just and then they just walk in there and don't even try to help him. They just stand at the door, being like, yeah. "What are you doing, John? What's, what's <laughs> happening there?" Um. Yeah, I just felt like there's there was a opportunity here. Like, I I hate to say like, Oh, if this movie was rated R, it would have been this, but like you could have had some more hard hitting things in this movie that dig a little deeper into John Nash's psyche. You know, I think, you know, this movie does want to be a little bit about mental illness. I, I did have a question for you guys about that, about whether or not it was kind of wise to take a broad stance on that in this movie, or if it should have, dug in really deep there. I mean, again, if this movie was made today, I think the mental illness topic would be much more prevalent in this movie. And maybe that'd be for better. Maybe that'd be for worse. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think they needed to pick a lane and like dive into it, especially when they're dealing with such uh, in-depth topics uh, like this, this guy being a genius, this guy being schizophrenic, his relationship, all that stuff could could be very interesting. For if sure. They really it's dove an interesting into story. it. Yeah. It's I a think super you guys interesting hit, story. You, you said it very briefly, but I think you hit on something significant in that we don't ever have any opportunity to understand what he did as a mathematician. We don't understand his the theory that he comes up with. They talk about it, they try to dumb it down for the audience a little bit with the, you know, we all go for the blonde thing, but we don't actually totally understand how that can apply to anything right yeah and and that stuff is you know that's unfortunate because you know you'd like to come out of this movie oddly feeling a little smarter about like the stuff that he was that he was good at it makes you understand that character better and how his disabilities could impact you know his life because he's a, a, a genius mathematician that can come up with these things but is hampered by 
these, you know, schizophrenic delusions. But it doesn't really matter to us because we're not actually totally sure how smart he is because we don't understand what he did. We just like, oh, he went to Princeton. Now he's at MIT and now he's at Harvard and now he's back at Princeton. And, oh, those are all Ivy League schools. He and must they, be smart. They gloss over <laughs> a lot of the important parts. It's like an example is when he's like, I would like to try to be a professor again. And then cut to him 30 years yeah. later, the yeah. best professor ever. They're just coming out of the class. After kids he, love like, him. Kids love him. He's making yeah. jokes. And and they do that throughout the movie of just like the, it gets up to the edge of when it could be interesting and when it could go someplace a little bit raw and different and then cut to I mean, guys, something else. I, I, do I have to say it? I mean, well, this, this is, is classic biopic yes crap like and what i want to say is like trying to cover years of a guy's life this movie is a great example of of what you're talking about lee because it's trying to be this comprehensive look at this guy and trying to do it in an hour or two hours and 10 minutes and we want to see everything we want to see the relationship with the hot wife uh we want to see the you know him you know when he was in college and first coming to be intelligent, we want to see a glimpse of this. So it's that comprehensiveness that lets that, that prohibits you from focusing on one element or highlighting one element that is the emotional tenor of the, of the piece. Like we don't really have that here. Like, for example, you could say, like, you know, I'm reading the plot summary to just remind myself of what happened, but like, you know, he gets the Nobel prize at the end. Right. And, and he sees the, the, his imaginary friends or the enemies or whatever, you know, walking with him. And and that w- that's an interesting story, like learning to accept these issues. And you can and like and I would imagine that's a very real. Um, and that's like 10 minutes of the movie. It's such a short. Right. But like learning to accept these this disability for yourself. Like, yeah, I'm always going to have these these image in this case images in fact he really only heard voices in his head but i'm sure that's still very hard to deal with but you know i'm i'm living with this and and my my treatment is not like i'm not going to be able to ever rid myself of this issue but i'm they're here and i'm dealing with it and i think that's an you know in and of itself is an interesting visual um sort of math problem here that like yeah. okay like you've got these people here but he's ignoring them but that the movie's not about that the movie is much like uh hillbilly elegy just showing you issue after issue after issue there's that awful scene where he can't seem to get a hard on and his wife goes to the bathroom and smashes up the the and 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 screams and i bet they're like oh yeah she's gonna win an oscar for that 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 scene was so bad it's just it, you know like that inclination as a director or a writer or an actor to just immediately go to the biggest reaction in the in the room just it just takes all the subtlety out of it and really this just prohibits this movie from talking about these issues which are important and prevalent and and yeah i like how she leaves the room so that she could like scream at the top of her right. lungs and smash stuff like he's not gonna and it, that that reminds me of a moment and that's that not gonna help get a boner yeah <laughs> oh, he's all of a sudden super hard <laughs> cut me with that um, it reminds me of the scene with, with Christopher Plummer that you like when you mentioned like there's bits of interesting moments and like he talks about like 
the the imagining if not only like the pe like the people that you are closest to or that that don't exist and what kind of hell would that be like I, I thought that was super interesting and i was like i want to explore that a little bit more but it never really does other than that mention of it yeah, it just breathes. It so what is interesting about all what everything you guys are saying is is how much time this movie spends introducing us to John Nash and to Paul Bettany's character of Charles, and then eventually Ed Harris before uh, Christopher Plummer shows up, and we start to learn what's happening here. You know, it's probably you know halfway through the movie, maybe an hour, ten minutes, but. So much they need to cover so much in that final hour after well, this Christopher movie Plummer wants shows to up be, that that moves very quickly through it. Just exactly this what you movie guys wants are to be a reveal movie. This the, they want to like sort of be like oh none of the yeah. Like, uh, and I uh, noticed it wants that, to be a sixth sense type of reveal. And I noticed that as it was a different type of experience watching it now, knowing that and I was paying attention to like this the way scenes were shot in terms of like what are other characters looking at when Paul Bettany's character is there and like, how is it framed? And, you know, it's nothing overly clever, but it's done, you know, as you'd expect, like hiding him like around a corner or whatever. But anyway, that last half of the movie is exactly what you guys are describing. It's like this scene, then this scene, then this scene, and really trying to like cover as many possible things that this, that this mental illness is impacting. But the entire first half of the movie is a totally different pace. It's pretty, I mean, you flash forward once when he, when he graduates Princeton and he goes to work at Wheeler labs. But other than that, it's, it's contained within a time frame. You know, you see him at Princeton, you see him meet his, his quote unquote friends. You see him meet Paul Bettany. And that's just like a setup. The movie's like an hour of setup only to get to that final hour of let's cover all the, all the facts as fast as we can. So why not, make that set up real quick. Why not that be 20 minutes of the movie? You know, he's at Princeton. He's got the roommate. You know, you don't need all that junk with Josh Lucas and um, his friends and everything and Adam Goldberg. Like, that that's the, the Josh Lucas relationship doesn't work at all in this movie. So in that competitive uh, thing that they have going on doesn't work at all in this movie. So get rid of all that stuff. Make the first part of this movie... 20 minutes long, and now you've got nearly two hours to talk about the mental illness and all of these things, and you've got more time to focus on each individual thing. But instead, it's a, it's all set up, and it's like, for what? It wants so, to we, because... so we feel bad at the end because he has to say goodbye to Paul Bettany? Yeah, it's a gotcha move. But guys, like I, I know you're going to get on me for this. I'm... They shouldn't. Have, they shouldn't have made this movie the way they did. They. Well, I think we're agreeing with. Well, you. those those characters, the 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 made up characters in his head, they they never existed. That is a big enough invention that they should have just made a movie about a schizophrenic mathematician who had visions of people in his head. Like, wh- why? T- so you take this guy, who's done these amazing things. Yet he suffers from. I guess. Well, well, whatever. I mean, he's, we've been told. He's, I mean, he won a Nobel Prize. I mean, let's yeah, just, no, no, it's all true, but we don't understand what. Okay, it is I'm just I'm talking about as, as filmmakers. Yes. Yeah, so, right. so he's he's this 
exceptional person yet he's and he's his story is interesting because he's been dealing with schizophrenia while doing all these very important things but they invent this entire story about him to to get at at to and uh, to uh to illustrate his schizophrenia yet that becomes the focus of the entire movie i mean so much of a of the screen time is spent with these imaginary characters who don't exist, who never existed okay. in his mind. And so in if, this, if, if, the, if you're not going to tell us why John Nash is a significant person, why, why we should think he had, why does he have a beautiful mind? I mean, he has a right. fucked up mind. He has a, uh, a smart mind. Is it beautiful? <laughs> I don't know why it's beautiful, but, but like, why tell this story? If you're not going to tell us about what, what, what he did and everything you are telling us about is completely invented. Okay. I like this because this is a this is a good way to talk because we've never truly defined the Ron Howard Oscar machine, right? We talk about it all the time. Just we have kind of sort movie. of a we have sort of a vague explanation of what it is. But what you're describing, Chapin, is 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 a big part of it, and that these movies are essentially vehicles, right? They're vehicles for performances. They're vehicles for like uh, like uh, pol- like polished movie making, and the story. Even though Akiva Goldsman won an Oscar for this. Not sure how. This is a boring screenplay. But he's... And he's part of the the quote-unquote Ron Howard Oscar machine. But, like, essentially it's like, let's get Russell Crowe. Let's get Jennifer Connelly. Let's get Paul Bettany. Let's get Ed Harris. Let's get Christopher Plummis. Let's get Roger Deakins. Let's get Ron Howard. Let's get Akiva Goldsman. It's just, like, all these people that we can get and make the safest movie possible... It's not going to offend anybody. Yeah, oh, well, we're talking about mental illness. No, no, no. We'll just go easy with that, right? It's not going to offend anybody. It's just going to be a vehicle for good performances. It's going to be a script that's easy to write well. It's going to be a movie that's easy to shoot. And it ends up looking great and coming across great because sort of it's always pretty easy to make. I mean, when you have great actors and when you have competent filmmakers or great cinematographers like Roger Deakins, it's easy to make a movie like this. And I yeah, think that's but, our criticism when you roll into like Cinderella Man, where it's just like, does that movie really have anything interesting to say? And you mo- keep moving on into like, I guess Frost Nixon was maybe the last of the uh, Ron Howard Oscar Machine movies, which is a fine movie from what I can remember. But do you guys remember much about I that? I do. I just watched it. It's a better movie than this, certainly. And it's... And it's um it do, it does have an angle it's it's more entertaining it, it and because it does because it's focused it's not a yeah. nixon biopic it's not a it's not a um david frost right, biopic right. it's about their interaction and it, it is a little it's safe it's a little like i would i would say elementary you know it kind of it's kind of the the fifth grade book on that particular subject right, right. but um it's fun and i think it i i in in some cases i really appreciate that like um, I, I like it, a subject that I don't know a lot about that is important. I don't I don't mind being pandered to a little bit, right? You know, and I think um, it's also it's, it's funny, also based like, on a really good play that I w- had the pleasure of seeing as well, and and um, so a lot of that was built in. You know, like they had this great piece of theater that that had already that they that both of those actors had you know spent years doing, or at least a little bit of time. 
And it's in, you know, I, we call it the Ron Howard Oscar machine, but another, like there's another movie. It was really kind of just like the early two thousands where this existed. Cause like cold mountain is another movie that for some reason, like falls into that category for me. It's like, we got Renee Zelger, we got Nicole Kidman, we got Jude law. Like we you got all of these like big actors. It's going to be a big epic movie. We got Anthony Minghella, Minghella coming off of, well, I mean, it's well after English patient, but like, it's just these, you know, well-respected people across the board to make these movies that don't end up being all that interesting. And like that, I think is what we mean when we say the Ron Howard Oscar machine, because they just kept getting rewarded. But cold, cold mountain shoots its shot. It's not, it didn't, it didn't necessarily work in the way that I'm sure they, I don't remember much about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's interesting. And he makes some choices that are, that are fun, that are interesting. Um, this movie is just so bland. It is bland. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Bland movie shot by Roger Deakins. And with all that, like, I I think part of it is just also the, the pandering to sort of a general audience. Like what is, how can they bring that little knob up to right to the edge of where a general audience is going to be like, it's never going to go over where it's going to get offensive to anybody, but right to the to the point where everybody can be like, oh, I feel bad for that guy. Oh, he had to deal with that. But he's such a genius. You know, like it figures out the way to just sort of get right there. And yeah, and they think a, because yeah. they can they think because they can get a bigger audience or or it's a more, I guess, universal theme that it's going to become a greater movie. And narrator, it wasn't. There, there's so many things in this movie that I was thinking about that were that they just didn't capitalize on, like what this was at this time period. This is takes place in the 50s and 60s. It goes all the way up to like 1994, but the majority of this is 50s, 60s, when mental illness was not treated the way that it's treated today. There's a quick scene where they give him insulin treatment and he's just like five times a week for 10 weeks or something that he has to do this, which is obviously not which didn't a make any sense to me, but I'm sure it was way. a thing. Like right. What, but like they were dig into that. Like what did he really go through? Like how was this mental illness really treated yeah, back in the They 50s? gave him insulin and he was reacting like they gave him uh, like shock electric treatment. shock yeah. therapy. I don't know how that works. And like, but I just think like there must have been much more like, you know, I guess offensive ways that this was dealt with back then that we would never do now. And this movie doesn't bother with that. It also doesn't bother with which I thought could have been interesting. Like what a character like Alicia Nash's role was as a wife in the 50s. Like they don't touch on that. Like, you know, she's she's supposedly this like very smart mathematician as well. And is if you notice, they have like she's one of two women in the classroom where he's teaching in that first scene. And I don't think it almost felt like that wasn't intentional. Like that probably would have been the case. But like, where's that storyline about like where she fits in all this? She just is. I like their relationship, but I ultimately don't feel like they dove into like. Okay, wh- where were women during in this time period wanted, in this situation? I, like, well, not even where we, where were women or where her place was with, in the hierarchy of the the mathematical scheme of it. I I wanted to know their relationship and how it was connected via 
like their love of math. I didn't see that at all. Like she just became his support and the wife and the mother in this movie. She never was us like demonstrated as a smart person. And and you know why? Because this is and this is so like this is the stuff that the academy eats up. It's like every everything is spoken in metaphor, right? Like they they fall in love over the fact that you can make any shape with by pointing at the stars. And then he proposes to her by giving her this thing where you can see every color imaginable. Like it's all, it's so scripted and it's so like, oh, Akiva Goldsman, Oscar winning scre- screenwriter. Like, right. and it's just like, just tell us that they love each other. <laughs> Not even that. Like, I want to see what her background in math and his background in math and how they connected through that. E- I didn't even need to see. The, the one, that moment when he gives her that prism or whatever it is. I think they tried to get there with that. He, he but... referenced, she she refer he references something he told she told him at the, on their yeah. first date and so it was it was funny because now that you point that out it's as if the movie is saying look how good he is despite his mental illness it's like you know what even when he was having a breakdown he still noticed uh, these little details about his you know future wife it's like what is that saying to us i i so i re- so I just want to make it clear, like I liked their. Uh, I don't. Maybe I should be more, even more specific. It's two excellent I, actors acting with I each liked, other, acting good, as you would say, Lee. Yeah, actors act good. Actors acting good. That's sometimes all you need. But no, I I was moved at times by like their interactions and how she supported him and like things like that. I felt like those moments worked and. I liked that part of the movie. You know, it, it didn't need to be tied up in a little bow for me with the speech that they stole from I'm thinking of ending things. Um, but their their relationship for me... Jeremy, did you recognize that? No. The, so the speech... I told you about this on the Think of Ending Things podcast. The speech that Jesse Plemons gives at the end of it is the same speech that Russell Crowe uh, gives in this. Right, right, right. And yes. it's, you know... I don't know why Kaufman put that in there. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. But anyway, I just found that the two of them together, I, I felt like they had good chemistry at times and I liked watching them together and I liked their relationship. And that's, you know, in the same way that like I found, you know, I don't know, Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger making Jerry Maguire work in in some in some scenes where yeah, but they had such the material's a not always there but that it was interesting yeah but they're they're the material's not always there but they make it work because they're good actors and their chemistry works and i i liked that about this movie well let's talk about their acting because at the beginning of this i would say the first like 25 minutes i was really distracted by russell crowe's ticks it is and his decisions <laughs> that he made the but does it grow on of, you it does eventually grow on me. And I and I remember thinking like the first 25 minutes, how good he was at his ticks in The Insider. The oh man, I thought the exact same glasses thing. Glasses and the way he touches his but face it's like in The those Insider. those steroids. But this was just like, I get it. There's something like, I don't know. It was just so deliberate and, and on point that it became really distracting. And I don't think it ever, I, I got used to it, but, and I think his performance is, good not great um but i don't love the decision 
That stuff about the performance I don't love. I like his performance outside of the mannerisms, though. I like it a lot. And I think I think uh, Connolly was excellent for what she was given. I mean, but she had she just played. I mean, she played perfectly into the broad strokes of this movie. Yeah. So I think because she could sort of do that so well it gave a little bit more life to her character than was than what was on the page. What do you think, Chapin, of those two? Um, yeah, no, I thought they were good. I, I like Russell Crowe. I mean, this is an incredible run for him, I think. Um, I, I agree. The, the ticks were a little... I didn't find them super distracting, but I can see how they were for you, Jeremy. They're just obvious. Like, that yeah, was a... Yeah. In the way that the ones in the insider are not obvious, these are very obvious. Yes. And I mean, this is an obvious movie. So, you know, he's playing to the right crowd, I yeah. guess. Um, but also, do you think like there's a distinction the way that Ron Howard films it compared to Michael Mann, where Michael Mann's like you know, up against his ear and yeah, he's glasses 100%. and you feel like that. Whereas here you got yeah, that and, beautiful frame and he's in the middle of it, you know. And, and directing, you know, like, the, you know, not only does Ron Howard just sort of fail to find an angle here, he's really just like, he doesn't, you know, he's, he, he, I, th- I think he doesn't know necessarily how to shoot these performances. I mean, that's a great point about Michael Mann. Like, like being a director, you know, in my sort of limited experience, it's, it's, especially with actors, it's like having your, having your hand or your foot rather on the gas pedal it's like gas and brake with actors right like you're either telling them to do more or you're telling them to do less that's basically i mean you're there's 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 sometimes there's more to it than that but like your job you know the director's got the the actor has the scene they know what they're going to say they have a rough idea of how they're going to do it and your job is to sort of regulate it as so that it's appropriate for where you're putting the camera or what you want to do with the movie and I think Ron Howard probably has trouble telling people to, to, to rev down, to hit the brake. Cause like hillbilly elegy was just at, like the, the pedals on the floor, baby, like go all out and don't worry about it. But like, if you're on an 18 millimeter lens and you're walking, watching Ron Howard walk across a, um, a Princeton courtyard, you mean, you mean uh, Russell, Russell Crowe? Crow, yeah. What did I say? Ron Howard. Russell Crowe rock across a, across a courtyard. Sure, have him be big. But when you're right here, I don't know. We don't we he needs to be subtle. And we know he can do this. We know Russell Crowe can do this because he does it brilliantly a couple years later in a film called Mustn't Command a Far Side of the World. He's subtle with his charm, with his uh feelings of guilt and feelings of um fear in, in Master and Commander. And and Peter Weir knows how to film him. And so I get the feeling that Russell Crowe, that um, that Ron Howard doesn't, you know, he doesn't regulate that gas very well. And he doesn't know how to film actors in the same way that some real geniuses do. I think that's a really good point. I want to talk a little more about Howard here in a sec. Do you guys have any thoughts on like Bettany and Ed Harris and Christopher Plummer? I, I do want to say, I do think Jennifer Connelly's role is kind of like offensive. It's you're like, Jeremy, I think you pointed out, like you never, you never see, or maybe you did, like, you, you never see where her career goes in mathematics. I think she was a very, uh, I think she is a pretty famous mathematician. 
Um, she's just, and she's like, I mean, she's not sexed up, but she, I mean, she's Jennifer Connelly looking amazing. And so we, so he kind of like, we fall in, if we fall in love with her, we fall in love with her because of her looks, not because of anything she does. And then she's regulated to being the sort of, uh, sort of angry, upset, horny, yeah, she gets real one. mad if she don't if she doesn't get sex. Yeah. <laughs> Do not miss her. Better give her sex, or else you're not gonna have a mirror left in the place. Uh, I um, thought Paul Bettany actually was really. I think he just works for this sort of stuff so well. Like, I mean, he's just almost perfect for the Ron Howard Oscar machine. I hated that character though. Okay, that's fine, but I think so. I think I his performance have... is good. It's weird. Like, I would have liked it if, like, so, like, they almost tried to treat it like a Wilson type of character. Like, when it, because he has that scene where he has to basically say, You've been a great friend to me, but, like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And, like, it's kind of an emotional scene and an emotional moment. And you can put yourself in Russell Crowe's shoes there and, and John Nash's shoes there and be like, God, like, you know, this would be something difficult if you had this quote unquote friend that you just had to basically ignore the rest of your life. And then that's all these flash forwards and stuff. He's like yelling at him in the background and he's like, you know, this, you're being pathetic and like all that stuff just kind of dampens the emotional impact that that previous scene had. So I liked Paul Bettany in this movie and this was a, you know, a big launching point for him in his career. Um, He met his wife. And he met his wife, yeah. Um, and obviously, Paul Bettany's doing quite well now um, as uh, Vision. But yeah, I liked him. I thought Ed Harris was just like what a perfect Ed Harris role, but like he was fine. Like, yeah. who else plays that role? I don't. I'm not sure. Um, I did not like that Paul Bettany character. They didn't do anything to develop that friendship, so that when that line does come out, like, hey, you know, I got to say goodbye yeah. to this. We don't care. Ron Howard's more interested I think in like they did a little bit showing I mean, he us was always he was the only one there for like a lot of his significant achievements and he was always ruining rooting him on it felt like the only real friendship he had I don't know it never it never which is yeah it never felt and like genuine to me and I, I feel like he was he was more worried about so the more worried about you know making it on the first viewing feel as if he's really there but then also going out of his way to make sure that it it holds up on second viewing that you know we know he's not there and who cares who cares about any of that focus on making the friendship important and meaningful to john nash we don't care about that yeah it definitely had it definitely had that that shutter island vibe but not as well like like like, oh, we have to rewatch it, and then you'll know. Oh. Okay, guys. But I, I never got his other friendships. His other friendships never yeah. seemed real. And they I all seemed to dislike him. I always remembered that line at the end when Josh Lucas is like, yeah, John, we've always been friends. It's like, what? You were an asshole to him. You yeah. guys weren't friends. <laughs> well, they were competitive. A- and- Adam Goldberg seemed like he was nice to him eventually, and they became friends. And that other guy that there's uh, another interesting thing to explore: the competitive, the sort of friendly competition among among like really high level academics. Yeah, awesome movie. Make that movie. That would be really interesting. You think? I think uh, totally. Yeah, if okay. you focused you on that, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm a, I, I'm serious. That's another good point. 
But we have to talk about this, even though we talked about it on the Hillbilly Elegy podcast, because we're getting more evidence that maybe Ron Howard is a one-hit wonder and made one of the greatest movies ever in Apollo 13, but is maybe just not a great director? I don't know. What yeah. Do we, like, what do we take from this? Here, what? Here's how it works so well. It's because Apollo 13 had its stakes built in, and he and those stakes were very uh conventional and they weren't offensive like it all still works on that ron howard level but it's such a great story and he did such a good way better made movie than anything else we've done such a good job with the space aspect of it and the the grittiness of that and the 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 fact that these people could die like there's just i think it it fits into his canon and it just happened to fit at the right time and place. Yeah. And that's why, uh, although Ed Harris, what did he even do in that movie? Yeah, God, Jeremy. You, Shut up, pussy. Jeremy's like, Ed Harris is the hero of Beautiful Mind, but he was the villain in Apollo 13. Yeah, so I think Ron Howard needs a movie that where, the, the like you said, Jeremy, the tension or or the 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 hook is in the pitch like in the elevator right pitch. apollo 13 yeah, that's a great a movie way to put and it. an apollo 13 you know backdraft is an okay movie that's another one right like just like where the pitch is the is the greatest thing if 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 you need a second sentence in that pitch maybe i don't know that this is gonna <laughs> find another well. find a different yeah. director <laughs> so you ever heard of john nash no oh fuck he's like tim robbins in the player <laughs> He just needs that pitch. But you know, like, like, oh yeah, having a movie about the fr- how they came to make the Frost Nixon interviews, perfect. So what's what is Ron Howard's second best movie? That's a great question. Because Ransom isn't bad, but I haven't seen it in a long time. God, really, it's really a low bar. Jesus. Yeah, there's not a lot of good things that he's done, and it seems like they're just getting worse too. Um, he's been working a lot on documentaries lately. I haven't seen any of them, but who cares? Um, I mean, some of the stuff before Apollo 13, I haven't seen in so long. I don't think I've ever saw Willow, but the paper I saw once, the far and away, I don't cocoon. remember. Maybe Cocoon might be a people like re- good rewatch. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever even seen it. Um, so, so yeah, like, I just like not a, but, we've reviewed. Th- but Lee, this, three, this goes back to our Schneider discussion. Four movies now of his. He he's not a filmmaker. He's a director, and yeah. and he's a director who needs a lot of like he, who can tell can can do a, a serviceable job telling a great story, and and he needs a good script. And, he's a and great that's script. another thing that's frustrating about A Beautiful Mind is so Akiva Goldsman, he. He basically like we could have gone that like and started talking about like the Akiva Goldsman Oscar machines because he like followed in this like he did um, he he wrote this and then he wrote Cinderella Man he wrote I Am Legend he wrote Winter <laughs> Dude, uh, he's, not Winter he's got as many stinkers as he has hits but does he have uh, any hits like look at his the, the, his the, script the client, Batman and Robin the client is good. <laughs> Silent Fall, bad. Fine is good. Batman Forever, good. Bad. Time to Kill, good. Batman and Robin, you should be, you should never be able to write a movie ever again yeah, after that. <laughs> I mean, they're mostly stinkers. Yeah, but he like caught on this train with with 
Ron Howard in this movie. And it was just like, oh, what's the next movie with with uh, Ron Howard and Akiva Goldsman? Like, would anybody ever be talking about Cinderella Man? Would that movie ever get brought up if not for A Beautiful Mind? It, it might be a better movie than A Beautiful Mind, though. It's quite possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. But it's an entirely forgettable movie that was nominated for three Oscars. Um I guess really the only, I mean, editing and supporting role for uh, one of my acting troupe members, Paul Giamatti. But it was it was significant because it was the gang was back together. It's Goldman, Howard, Russell Crowe, and then you bring in Renee Zellweger, um, who's coming off, I think, you know, uh, Cold Mountain Oscar nomination or Oscar win. I don't remember if she won. She was also in Chicago that same year, Bridget Jones' Diary. So, you know, a huge, you know, Oscar favorite and it's just this machine it's the machine that we've been talking about that just like you know what's interesting about the machine is it doesn't have any unique camera shots the machine is exactly uh, it's medium shot close up close up medium shot maybe a wide shot every once in a while uh Ron would you like to maybe do some sort yeah. of steady cam down this no oh no that was my oh, other no. question. It was like, how did this work? How what was the relationship on set between Deacons and Howard? Well, they, ne- they never trying worked to together do more? again. So, yeah, was Deacons trying mean? to do more? Like, and Howard is just like, no, 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 this is going to be perfect. Well, Deacon knows we how to, to just... Deacon knows how to light like a motherfucker, and this movie I don't feel was lit well. It was no, it's well, it's just it's, it's all fine, in rooms yeah. and, or on a campus, which I think Howard's just like the campus itself is pretty enough. Don't worry about lighting it; just put but it in the background. He, he he shot those um he found a way to really innovate with the the control room shots in in Apollo 13. He he used like a technocrane in a time when those mm-hmm. weren't super like weren't as ubiquitous as they are now and he shot the shit out of that those scenes with it. And and in a way that was like you know really exciting and involving and 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 magnetic but were not distracting. So I don't Please like don't the, ask me uh, how, why this came to mind. But, like, do you guys remember the scene in Old School when Will Ferrell has to do the debate? Yes. And he, like, spits out this, like, long goes, answer that's correct. And he's like, God, what happened? I blacked out. That's what I think happened to Ron Howard after Apollo 13. He, like, made that movie and then he's just like, oh, what happened? I blacked out. And he could just never right. do anything right. like it again. <laughs> well, that's a good example of over-the-top in a beautiful mind and it's when he goes to the pentagon and he has that code which happens to be beautifully displayed on these uh mirror like led lights everywhere and then the the camera sort of circles around as he's spinning and that's the famous famous shot in that as he's looking at the numbers and and yeah and that's just like it's just okay so if you just you like Howard decided to do something different there, but then he just sort of went way over the top. So that was the scene where I was just like, I thought like that's where we were going to see Deacons. Yeah. And then we got to it and I was like, no, this is just some stuff he did in post where he lights up the numbers. Um, it was, and again, was that's a, a good example of like, I don't understand what he's seeing. Like none of us understand, like it doesn't connect you with his connection. All you see are the numbers, number here, yep. number there, lights up, lights up, lights up. And you're yeah, like, they're coordinates. Okay. And then they just goes coordinates. Oh, okay. 
I, I, maybe he's lying. There was a pro Any of the numbers he picked could have been coordinate. And, and he also is like, Idaho. Really? Are you sure, okay. uh, John Nash, that they want that Russia's interest in a, a middle That's of nowhere, the other thing, Idaho? It's like the MacGuffin in this movie is just like this bomb that is coming into the States and he has to figure out from the publications where it is. Like, this is... I get it. Like, that's all stuff that's in his mind, so maybe don't make it too detailed. But, like... So you you can't make a sophisticated enough movie to allow your audience to understand the, like, mathematical equations that he's solving and coming up with. Fine. But you also can't give us the credit of doing something a little bit more interesting than just, like, the Russians are bringing <clears throat> the bomb into the United States. You have to figure out where they're bringing Wait, it. Wait, was that first part with the generals, was that fake or real? That was... I thought that was real and everything. The Pentagon part, I think, is supposed to be after real. After was And then he fake. sees... Yeah, he sees Ed Harris there and yeah. meets him. And then that's where I really like... I feel like that line's hilarious when it, he picks up the remote and he's like, that's a good... Those are a good idea. <laughs> Best part of the movie. Yeah. It's a brilliant screen, right? Screen, uh, screenplay. Okay, so beautiful mind wouldn't have won the fixie. Oof, nope. I didn't mind watching this movie for the same reason that, like, probably everybody didn't mind watching this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's long, enjoyable, nice palate cleanser, but there's nothing interesting. There's nothing <laughs> in depth about it. Nothing that you. There's nothing challenging about it. Yeah, if you have to watch irreversible and then you know some other horrible movie maybe uh watch this in between yeah so we're gonna probably we're inevitably gonna do this every time we do review a 2001 movie um like this one best picture best supporting actress best screenplay and what else one four I don't know how in front of me. I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, oh, and director, right. Um, so, of the nominees, what what wins those? I mean, Best Picture, I think In the Bedroom. Does In the Bedroom beat this? Gosford Park, Moulin Rouge, Lord of the Rings? Do you mean for the Fixies? No, no, no. I just mean, like, if you're if the nominations yeah, are the same. let's say it was the Fixies that year, and these were what we had to choose from. I'd say it'd be either In the Bedroom or Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think Lord yeah, of the Rings. I think that's the best Lord of the Rings movie. Um, I do, too. And In the Bedroom is quite good, too. Um, Gosford Park's a movie I would actually really love to watch again. Maybe we should add that to yeah, that's, rewatch that'd be good. for this year. David Lynch for Mohan Drive was nominated, Lee. Oh, wow, that's really? Pretty, for director? That's pretty crazy. Has he been nominated um, ever before? Uh, that's a good up. question. Uh, I'd have to lean towards Ridley Scott winning for director, though. Yeah, I mean, um, pretty pretty incredible. I mean, and um, I think that also should have won Best Cinematography, but it was nominated. Uh, so, supporting actress, does Jennifer Connelly win? Um, I really liked Marissa Tomei in, in the bedroom. Uh, you have two Gosford Park nominees, and yeah, of ben those Winslet. nominees, I'd say Marissa Tomei. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting, and like we brought up at the top, like this is the perfect movie to win, win Best Picture because, like, you know, we compared it to Green Book, and like, look at the backlash it had. 
Was there really any backlash when A Beautiful Mind won Best Picture? No, because it's, this isn't No, because it's just like, film, yeah. in, not offending anybody, like, this is a safe choice, and, you know, it's, you know, we're living in a different time in 2001, but it just seems like such a, yeah, such a I mean, safe look, choice. And look, this is also the year where, like, you know, Denzel Washington won Best Actor, Halle Berry won Best Actress, so they were, like, taking care of that business that uh, everyone's critical of them for. And then the nice, safe Best Picture winner, nice, safe Best Director. There was probably very little criticism of the Oscars uh, uh, for the 2001 movies. Wow. You know what? There, I, I there maybe, maybe would have picked... Um, I think I would have picked Will Smith as Best Act, lead in a lead role. I don't know. Denzel's so good in training day and tom wilkinson's really good in in the bedroom i would not have picked sean penn and i am sam now there might have been some backlash if he had won <laughs> oh man oh is that on our list i'd be very interested to rewatch that well you know the problem is never go for it <laughs> and all right chapin well, thank you guys. Please, before thank we you, say everyone, so much for listening. I hope you didn't have to go back and, and visit a beautiful mind in order to enjoy this podcast. Your your just memory of it. You know, I realized that you know a movie isn't has not you know stood the test of time when the the transfer looks like it was done from the VHS. This <laughs> this looked. Horrible. They're not even bothering to spend the terrible. money. <laughs> um, but uh, join us next week when we review another film. I don't know what it is at the moment. I think The Father. The Father, right? yeah. So that's another possible fixie uh, nominee that has been getting a lot of attention at the Oscars. Best Picture nomination. Uh, best Actor. Um, so we'll see you then. And um, Starring fixie winner send Olivia in, Coleman. Lee, please don't talk while I'm making the pitch for voice memos. Please send in your voice memos. Tell us about the year. Tell us about what your favorite film was. Let us know how excited you are to get back to movie theaters, or maybe you've decided to keep watching from home. There was some, uh, there was an update from uh, on Disney plus guys. So uh, we should talk about that next time. So little, uh, little cliffhanger there. The next movie will be cliffhanger. Goodbye. But in, so we, I guys, I think we have the father next week, fixie pre-show and then the fixies. So only two more podcasts before the fixies. Oh no! Which are in seven, which are in seventeen days. Chapin, you don't have to worry. You're doing, you're in good shape with the movies. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.